Mark Stein here getting educated on the Mavs, listening to the all-knowing Jeff Skin Wade and Bobby Corolla on the Numbers on the Boards podcast. Welcome to Numbers on the Boards, your weekly podcast for all things Mavericks. I'm Bobby Corolla from Mavs.com. We got Mark Stein on our open today, which adds to the star-studded cast we've assembled. So pumped that we got Dash Sound Machines and Funny Man Flula recorded our last intro for us because that means that I'm only one degree removed from Anna Kendrick and the Russell Westbrook fan, Barden Bellas. Joining me today is a guy who is zero degrees removed from Frank Tillichina superfan Michael Rappaport. He is one-third of the Mavs TV broadcast, one half of the Ben and Skin show, but 100% not a fraction. He is Jeff Skin Wade. Wow, that's an impress Man, I'm really, I was excited for this podcast before, but now I'm sort of bouncing off the walls. That was a fantastic introduction. Hey, thank you, man. I, I'm excited. It is a good day. It is a good day. I'm a big Anna Kendrick fan, too. Are you? She's pretty awesome. Yeah, we don't have to argue over it, like who's more of a fan, but I, I, I'm very impressed with her work. Yeah, no, I, I, I love her... Uh, uh, her catalog. She's got a lot of good stuff going she on. She does, man. She does. Okay, so coming up a little later in the podcast, I was joined by Wesley Matthews, caught up with him this weekend. But Skin, first things first, we got to get to the important stuff. You spent the weekend in Oklahoma City. Were you haunted at the Skirvin Hotel? No, I was not because I've been to the Skirvin many times and I've in fact confronted Bessie. If you look at the legend of the Skirvin, it's all about Bessie. And I have confronted her emotionally, mentally, not really physically. That'd be weird. <laughs> but uh, so I'm not worried. But I would encourage people if they want to go do a deep dive on the Internet. Uh, several years back, uh, the Mavs TV production crew, we pulled a prank on Sean Marion at the Skirvin. That was during the title season, wasn't it? Uh, it was the year after. Okay. It was the year after. And it's really great because uh, I don't want to give anything away, but one of your all-time favorite Maverick players jumps out and scares Sean Marion. So if you just Google, like, Marion Skirvin, you know, Sean Marion Skirvin, it'll come right up. And I encourage everyone to do that immediately after listening to the podcast. And also, by the end of the podcast, they'll be scrambling to Mavs.com to try to win tickets to the Spurs-Mavericks game on Tuesday, November the 14th. Absolutely. So it's like a big internet deep dive. You go try to win tickets to the Spurs-Mavs game, and then you do the whole Sean Marion Skirvin bit. From Mavs.com to YouTube. Right. Then back to Mavs.com. It's amazing how I Cuban invented the internet, right? He did. Him and Al Gore got together. I don't even know how it works, but yeah. uh, but we all benefit from it. Yeah. So uh, aside from confronting uh, ghouls mm -hmm. emotionally mm -hmm. and spiritually, mm -hmm. there was also some basketball played. Yes. Um, in the last few days by this team. Uh, so skin the back to back. The Mavs dropped both games. That Cleveland game could have gone either way. Really. Great I mean, game. They were they were shooting for the lead with under a minute left. That was an awesome game. Um, OKC. It was the the third quarter. It was the story of the third quarter. Um, what have been your impressions of this team since the last time we recorded, especially with these two back-to-backs? Um, you know, the record is two and twelve, but it, it seems like they're it seems like they've kind of figured some stuff out. I, I think they have, and I, you know, we want to reiterate to everybody that even though you know Bobby and I do the jobs we do, we're still Mav fans. So I know that I go through these highs and lows emotionally as the season progresses, just like any other fan does, even though I tell myself all the time, dude, relax, 82 games, blah, blah, blah. But the, the feeling from the end of the Minnesota game to the end of the Washington game, you talk about extreme highs and lows, right? And I think that's the main thing when your record is, is, is poor is big losses feel extra heavy. And so the Washington win was huge because if you look at it, 
Dennis Smith Jr. was involved in the first 14 points in one way or another. And they started the game with the alley-oop play that they started the season with, which was very much a tone-setting play. And it's really all about getting Dennis dialed in because he is so important to this team, despite the fact that he's 19 years old and all this stuff. We ran a graphic last night, Bobby, at the beginning of the broadcast of Russell Westbrook's first 11 games and Dennis Smith Jr.'s first 11 games. And the thing that stood out is Dennis is shooting a way higher percentage, scoring more, a little more rebounds, a little more assists. But Russell Westbrook's team was 1-10, and and Dennis Smith Jr.'s team is 2-9. And And it just goes to show you, when you do get a premier rookie like that, it's probably because your record's bad and you're in a position to get him, and then it's the long haul back. I think for the Mavericks, the haul won't be as long, and I think that sort of their record is where it is, but a lot of the problems have been exacerbated by circumstances. But you said it best. They have figured some things out, and it's really for this team, it's going to be about scoring and and being in control offensively, and as we've seen, that's going to come and go with this team but when they're on they're on and they're really tough to stop yeah i think it's kind of a a matter of process first results sort of to your point about westbrook's first 11 games he was one in ten he's playing with kd yeah i mean that team you know it was the seeds of a a future contender with the mavericks we'll see what they are in five years but but for now you got a 19 year old point guard running this offense and i think the process is getting there um the results have not shown yet but i think these losses especially that cleveland loss and yeah. a couple earlier in the year games that could go either way at memphis for example um dennis is kind of figuring stuff out in crunch time yeah so against lebron for example dennis drives the lane late in that game and, and lebron comes with his chase down block and stuffs him and it's kind of you know maybe it would be easy for a young guy to get shaken but literally 10 seconds later the mavs come away with a loose ball and dennis throws it down yeah dunk and i think that's kind of the that's a pretty obvious example of growth. I think there are other more subtle examples of him learning things, taking things away. But that's in a, in a season where the record is not what you would hope that it would be. Games like he had in Washington and fourth quarters like he had against Cleveland, I think, are what give you kind of the signs of positivity, sort of the the hope for the future that you need to to get through this rough patch. Yeah, and here's a little here's a little thing we can share with you. So usually the way it works, a rookie comes in and all the older guys are like, okay, rookie. And I'm not even just talking about players. I'm talking about staff, right? Because when you've been around a team for a long time, you've seen all these ebbs and flows, and you know how this goes. And one thing just in real just kind of like off-the-cuff casual moments that everyone sort of starts talking about when they talk about Dennis is, now he'll compete. They'll say it, now he'll compete. And he won't back down. And you see like a lot of 19-year-olds get intimidated. But one of my favorite moments of the year, we ran this big piece on the pregame show about – Dennis Smith Jr. knowing LeBron as long as he has and how they feel about each other. And LeBron's really a good mentor for everybody in the league. He, he relishes that role. But when Dennis Smith Jr. went in and missed that up-and-under layup, and we could talk about whether or not he should have gone up on the strong side or whatever, he was distraught. And LeBron James counseled him the whole way down the floor from free throw line to free throw line. He wasn't looking him in the eye. They were walking side by side and talking out of the sides of their mouths to one another. And knowing what we know about them, LeBron was picking him up. And if you look at the way Dennis carries himself, it's not cocky. The confidence is so out of control with this guy that he feels like, He's on, he's on a level that LeBron's on. He's just got to get there. And the same thing with Russell Westbrook. He competed last night. You know, I mean, it's easy when you get down 20 to hang your head, but he, he still competed. And that's what everybody says. 
the kid will compete. He'll compete. And that's something that's maybe more uh, intangible or maybe more abstract. But if you project that out, it checks all the boxes of, yes, this is a future all-star. This is a elite-style building block. Well, there have been some louder examples of guys believing in him. LeBron, for example, is one of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, when was the last time that there were superstar-level players, whether that's LeBron or Steph Curry earlier in the year, all these guys that have been to all-star games and all-NBA teams and stuff? I mean, all of these guys cannot find enough good things to say about Dennis. They see the they see him as a young version of one of them. They're, the, dude, so these guys are all elite athletes, but there's levels at the top. Right. There's absolutely levels. And so, uh, you know, the superstar guys, they don't let you in the club. You got to kick down the door and walk into their club. And they're all kind of sitting there going, well, the door's open for you, buddy. Like they see it. Mm. You know, when there's something that separates you at the very top. And so one of the things I've always enjoyed about doing the broadcast is just turning and looking at the expression on Derek Harper's face at certain times because it tells you so much. The OGs don't want to give it up. They're not just like, yeah, you got it. Like, they, they want to see it. And there's moments where Dennis will do something so effortlessly where Harp's eyebrows raise up so big and he kind of shakes his head like, damn. And those are those really great moments for me, you know, watching this team and watching Dennis is like, that that's one of those guys. And the only thing that could stop him is an injury, knock on wood. You know, you never hope that that happens to anybody. And the other thing would be, attitudinal and I just don't think he's a bad guy I think he's a good guy and I think he wants to be great and he wants to compete so I'm not worried about any of that sort of stuff the road is not going to get any easier for him no uh so Tuesday night it's against Popovich and the Spurs mm -hmm. then he's got he's got Kyrie Irving coming next week yeah. before that he's got to deal with Eric Bledsoe I mean it's every single night he's going up against these stud guys that's like the NBA yeah and he's not backing down from any of it though no it's it's been exciting to watch Okay, so do you want to listen to what Wes Matthews had to say? I do, and, and let's preface this. So you caught up with Wesley after shoot-around Saturday before the Cleveland game. Yes. And and uh, I've heard this already, and it's awesome. You did a great job with him, especially the stuff I want our listeners to focus in on, the defensive stuff. And then keep in mind that after Bobby talked to him, you know, eight hours later, nine hours later, he is down the stretch playing elite-level defense against LeBron James with five frickin' fouls. Almost the whole fourth quarter. Just amazing stuff. And so I had heard your interview with him earlier in the day, and we're calling the game, and I was thinking about the stuff you talked about with him. It's a great interview, so check it out. Here's Bobby right after shoot-around for the Cleveland game with Wesley Matthews. Joining us on the Numbers on the Boards podcast is Mavs' third-year wing, Wesley Matthews. Wesley, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Just as I was saying that, I was, I was actually looking at the roster the first year that you were on the team. That was in 2015. And at that time, you were like the fourth or fifth youngest guy on the team. And now you're like the fourth or fifth oldest guy on the team. So, <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's a big change in a short period of time. And I mean, you haven't gotten much older, only two years older. Only gotten so. two years older. Yeah, so just in that period of time, how has your, your role on the team, but also your influence in the locker room changed as you've kind of gone from one of the younger guys to now one of the, one of the old heads? My role hasn't really changed all that much, um, but what I've had to do more so now is teach. You know, being a my role coming in was to be a leader, to be a, you know that that voice, that uh, that fire in the locker room on the court, and that hasn't changed. But um, you know, when you got guys that are older than you, guys that have been around the league, you don't really have to. It's not that much teaching, you know. They've 
most of them have been through more than me. You know, so now it's a little different as far as sharing wisdom, things that I've seen um, with the younger guys. So guys like Dorian and Dennis even has said that you've given them a lot of pointers. I mean, is obviously you're known for your defense and your shooting, but I mean, is that primarily what you help them out with is kind of the finer points of defense or what are the sort of things that you I'm a basketball guys? player and, you know, I've seen a lot of very, very good and great basketball players um, at all positions, you know, playing against them, guarding them. Um, I'm a student of the game. I watch the game. I love the game. So, you know, just talking basketball, um, you know, I didn't come into the league as a shooter. I still wouldn't consider myself a shooter. Yeah, I can shoot, but I see myself more as just a basketball player. And, and this league is now becoming more and more a way of being able to play basketball, getting away from sets, getting away from traditional two bigs and a athletic wing and a shooting guard and a point guard. You know, this league is going small. Golden State won it with a six-seven center. Um, you know, when Cleveland won it, LeBron was playing power forward and Kevin Love was playing center. So, you know, you have to be able to play basketball. In order to play basketball, I mean, you do have to play two ends, right? And, I mean, offense now is about sharing the ball. In order to play basketball well. Yeah, in order <laughs> to play basketball well, yeah, exactly. So offense now is about sharing the ball, playmaking. That's something that you're doing more of, too, this year. Your assist numbers are up. You're dribbling more, handling the ball more, attacking more. But on, on, on defense, I feel like fans and even, I mean, media guys and, and – you know, all of us, we, we don't really know what makes a player good at defense. You can you can look at someone and say, well, he's trying hard, but he's not actually making it difficult. Some guys, maybe they don't move as much, but they're really they're really good. They protect the rim or, or whatever. So in, in your opinion, what actually makes someone good? I mean, is it about desire? Is it about work it's, ethic? Or it's 100 about desire, um, your heart. Obviously, like you said, there are some extremely athletic players and people that aren't good defenders. And there's not so athletic players that are great defenders. It's it's about whether you want to do it or not, whether you want to put forth the effort or not. And do you want to study? Do you want to be? Do you want to do the hard stuff? Do you want to do the dirty stuff that doesn't necessarily get showed up? Like you like you just said, it's hard to analyze it. And you know, I I think analytics on defense honestly is is terrible because you can't necessarily get into the focus of you can't you can't quantify the heart in the will you know some people can just be at the right place at the right time well over the long stretch of time you know if they're not consciously putting themselves there and they just happen to be there because of whoever else is on the team with them or whoever else is on the court with them or whoever else they matched up with it's different than you know what i'm saying so it's like to a casual fan what makes someone a good defender is Someone that's going to sacrifice their body. I would say that would be the easiest way. If you see someone step over trying to take a charge, you're like, you know what? They have the principles of what it means and what it takes to play defense. It's sacrifice. Defending is sacrifice because it gets, it's a lot of energy, way more energy than the offense in the court. Yeah, on offense, sometimes you don't even move. You just kind of stand around. Sometimes if, if, you're, if you're calling a play and your number isn't called, you know, your job is to be in the corner and space the court out. Yeah. So <laughs> that doesn't take much energy at all. Yeah. So there was that play that you made against Lillard last year that I think everyone kind of considers probably your most iconic moment as a Mav. But there's a play before that, season before that, in the playoffs, I think it was, at OKC, where I think you were guarding Durant, and it was an inbounds play at the very end of the game, and you got screened like into the third row. I mean, you got you got decked, and you fell to the ground, you got back up. 
challenged his shot, he missed it. Somebody got the rebound again, you ended up on the floor again, got up and challenged it again, or stole the ball, or just something crazy. Crazy sequence happened. You ended up on the other end of the floor with a breakaway layup to to give the team a lead. I think that was the game that you won in that series. Yeah. I mean, is that kind of what you're talking about? Just willing to to lay it all out there? I mean, I, I think yeah. that some people re- just don't re- realize. I re- yeah, I remember the play. Um, it was a double stagger along the baseline, and probably one of the strongest human beings alive, Stephen Adams. Um, was it Stephen Adams or Ibaka? I don't remember which one of them. It was probably both, honestly. I think I got hit by both. I don't know which one of them put me on the ground. And, you know, instinctively it was just like, get up, because they're not going to call a foul. They're not going to stop the play. So, you know, I got up, bounced up to, to contest, you know, KD. And then the ball um, came back to us. So we were kind of, we wrestled for it. And I was able to rip it away. And I probably should have tried to dribble it out, but I was just so in the moment. I just took it down court and I saw Steven Adams and I bumped him to try to get a little more separation and then yeah, ended up making the layup. But it's a you can't play defense in just one thrust. It's gotta be multiple. You know, you got it's multiple waves of effort, multiple ways of of will and fight. And you know, I think that play personifies who I am and what I'm willing to give and what I do give as a Dallas Maverick, you know. I know my first two seasons haven't been great as far as shooting the ball. And, you know, that's for a multitude of reasons, but I'm going to take the blame for all of that. You know, I'm never going to pass blame anywhere else. I know I should have been better. I should have shot the ball better. But my heart, my desire to win, my will to win, my love for my teammates, my love for my community, my love for what I do is never wavered no matter how well I'm shooting, whether I make 10 threes in a row or miss 10, three in a row, three, 10 threes in a row. I don't care about any of that. I care about the result at the end of the day, and that's a win. And if my job is to play defense and get hit over and over and over to bounce back up to contest, that's what I'm going to do because that's what I'm about. That's the part about it, though, that would just – I feel like in order to, to want to play defense, in order to want to get just killed every night, I mean, you take you take more hits than everybody. You end up on the floor more often than anybody. I mean, you kind of have to be insane, and I don't mean that as an insult, but like you could leave it all out there, and a guy still drops thirty, and people don't say, "Well, you know, he, he would have got forty, but he only ended up with thirty, you know, because you you stopped him." I mean, that's the part that's just got to kind of drive you crazy sometimes. A little bit, a little bit, but you know, there's there's different levels of fans, you know, and those there's the diehards, and but again. I'm doing it for my team, and my team is out there with me every single night. They're competing with me every single night. The coaches are seeing us every single night. If I feel like I let them – first of all, if I feel like I let myself down, that's the first thing. And I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever want to let myself, my family, my friends down because they've been with me from day one. My teammates and my coaching staff are an extended family. Obviously, I never want to let fans down. Um but it's hard for fans to really recognize defense and recognize energy and effort and all that kind of stuff because the, the game is just so points-driven. It's the flashy plays. It's the dunks. It's the threes. It's the deep threes. It's behind the back. People want it's, 125 to 125. Exactly. That, that's how the game is, is gearing. And um, so it's hard to really, like you said, you know, if someone has a 36-point night, it's like, well – it took them 25 shots to get that. It took them 
15 free throws to get that. You know, so it's a different situation. But, you know, it does make you go a little crazy because you're just like, well, they didn't see the pick and roll and the pin downs and all that kind of stuff. It's not like, because as, as a competitor, it's like, no one's just going to straight up one-on-one give me 36 points a night. You know, there's a lot of other factors into playing defense. And, um, um, but you just got to remember that you're out there fighting with your teammates every single night. If my team ever comes to me and says, hey, we don't feel like you had it. Or if my family or my friends text me and they're like, yo, you all right? You look tired out there. Then I got to really, really check myself. Like, hey, maybe I didn't leave it all out there. So let's talk about your teammates a little bit. So you got Dennis at point guard, 19-year-old rookie. There was a play in Washington the other day where he drove the lane, and there must have been three or four guys that crashed down on him, and he jumped in the air. And from the broadcast angle, you couldn't see him. All you saw was the ball slip out of that of that mass of humanity somehow and end up right in your hands for a three, and you hit it. That was a big moment in the fourth quarter. Playing with him, I mean, you've only played with him, what, 10, 12 games now. How different is it for you to play with a guy who can get in the lane and who is that explosive and who commands that much attention? I mean, as a guy that's the recipient of a lot of his passes, do you kind of feel like you have to be on a string with him? I mean, do you, do you have to know what he's doing? Does he have to know where you are? How does that dynamic work between the guy who's attacking and the guy who's you know, actually scoring the points? Well, that's what I'm used to. You know, I'm used to, to, to people getting in the paint and driving and dishing and creating. You know, that's, that's, again, that's part of playing basketball. Um, so when we got him, I was excited. I knew just by that pick alone that my shooting numbers were going to go up because I was going to get easier looks and, and more clean looks. And, you know, for him to be as mature as he is to be able to drive and find, um, find people you know, that's a that's a great skill set to already have that he's only going to build on as he starts to understand the NBA game more and more every single night. And, you know, that's something that you kind of talk to early um, and playing pickup in the offseason. I mean, like, hey, look, man, get in the paint. Just get in the paint. If you can't jump over somebody, then look out. And it's a matter of there's been plenty of turnovers in practice, plenty of turnovers in, um, in pickup where we're trying to read each other. He's throwing some passes that I didn't think that I should have been to, but he's like, look, you're open right here if you go right here. I'm like, okay, cool. I've never played with a point guard that can run and jump over everybody and see something that, you know, I'm trying to slide to his vision when he's on the floor, but he gets even more vision when he's in the air. So it's just a read and it's a feel. And, you know, I think that we're really developing that and shoot arounds help while we run through plays and stuff. Um, we know where the spacing is. So um, he's just been he's been tremendous for us, and he's going to continue to get better. When he's on the floor this year, you're shooting 48% from three. As I how, said. How often are you buying him dinner? <laughs> he owes us dinner, actually. Oh, yeah. About, yeah. You send him to uh, to make a food stop before before flights? No, I haven't done that yet. We um uh, we did that when we had all the camp guys, but we haven't done that yet, not specifically. Uh, he's wearing the backpack, though. He's definitely wearing the backpack. We got some great rookies. Him and Maxie, they've been great. Um, G, when he comes up, you know, Motley's been great. Um, there's, been no, there's been no backpack flaws, no nothing. <laughs> we haven't asked them to do much, but they've been good. Yeah, so last thing, now's your chance to, uh, to maybe talk a little 
about one of your teammates. So right now on the Mavs all-time list, you are eighth all-time in three-pointers made mm -hmm. at 393. That is as of Saturday, November 11th. You are 42 behind JJ in seventh place. So will you catch him before oh, the end caught. of the season? Absolutely. Oh, he's done for. He's shooting it well. That's fine. <laughs> he has to get the volume up that I do. I'll so you're going to take him down? shoot him in bunches. 42, that might be tough, but uh, who's number one? Number Forget one on top seven. of Dirk, obviously. Yeah. And well, he's what's, at what's what, the number? 1,800? 1,795, yeah, I think. That's a lot of threes. You're going to catch him by the end of the year? Nah. Yeah, 1,795 for his career. That's a lot of threes. But since you came in, you're I think it's like five or six years in a row with 150 or 160 made threes for you. It's like you, Harden, Clay, Lillard, and Steph. I think the only guys. So you could get there. Seven straight. My my statistician tells me seven straight with 125. Only player in the NBA. He should last The only player in the NBA with 125. Appreciate that. How's that make you feel? It feels you feel pretty confident. I'm just doing my I'm just doing my job, man. Just trying to play basketball and win games. And saying, JJ, get out of the way. He's gonna move. Yeah. All right, Wesley. Thank you very much for joining the podcast, and now we'll send it back to Skin. All right. Thank you. Man, really good stuff there. Bobby Corolla with Wesley Matthews, and then we got to see the defense unfold Saturday night. And I know you track this stuff statistically uh, with some of the stuff that Wesley's able to do. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so Mavs' last two games as of Saturday were Cleveland and Washington. So Washington first. Bradley Beal's last three before he uh, played the Mavs, he was averaging 38 points a game on 57% shooting. Against Dallas, 23 points on 40% shooting. LeBron, his last five before facing the Mavs on Saturday, he was averaging 36 points a game on 61% shooting to go with nine and a half assists. Against Dallas, 19 points, 43% for assists. So it's, it's that, that like, is the West effect. Yeah, it's like the myth of the shutdown corner in the NFL. It's yep. amazing that he can just disrupt offenses uh, just like that. Yeah, well, I, I also have to – sorry to interrupt, but I have to take credit for Saturday night because okay. he, he talked to me and uh -huh. then defended LeBron. So there is a correlation there. One of the things I'd like to tell you about uh, your fearless leader, Mark Cuban, if he catches wind of that, he will make you talk to Wes because he's a superstitious guy. I'll, Are you I'll in? Yeah, I'll do okay. it. Okay, I'll do it. More podcast, man. Wow. So Kerala is the Wesley Whisperer. Let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, reward all the listeners for being here at this point and tell them right now. If you go to Mavs.com, look for the numbers on the boards, podcast logo. You know, we'll have our, our little uh, graphic there, and if you click on it, you can win tickets to the Mavs Spurs game for November the 14th, Tuesday. So we're recording this Monday morning. That's tomorrow night to us, depending on when you listen to it. Uh, you know, we'll get all this out on social media. But it's a chance to win tickets to that game and see Wesley's defense in person. Always a crazy atmosphere when the Spurs are in town. Yep. You'll be there. I'll be there. We'll be going nuts. Yeah, it's going to be Our awesome. face may or may not be painted. Um, okay, so we, we, we just talked about defense there, but we know with this Maverick team, if they're going to have success, it's going to be offensively. They're more of an offensive-geared team, and so much of that, too, comes down to whether or not they're hitting their three-point shots. Yeah, they are attempting threes at basically for the last five years. Every year they're taking more and more and more, and this year they're taking the most they've ever taken, hmm. up 33 attempts per game. Wow. Um, and when you attempt that many, I mean, it's it's a make-or-miss league. Rick Carlisle says that all the time. So if you're making your threes, you're going to be really good, and if you're missing them, then you're going to struggle to score points. And I think we saw that bear itself out in these last two games. Uh, they shot 29.6% on 35.5 attempts per game. So mm. if you're going to hmm. shoot 35 threes, I mean, you gotta you got to find ways to make more. Right. Um, second night of a back-to-back, -back, you have heavy legs. I mean, it's tough to 
it's tough to do that, especially like West, for example. He's chasing LeBron for 38 minutes. Right. He's got to come out the next night, defend Paul George, and still shoot threes. I mean, and he couldn't hit his three on, yeah, on no, Sunday his, night. Yeah, no, his shot was not going for him. So it's it's rough. But in that in that stretch, so after just two games, they're taking so many of these threes that if, you, if you're having two rough nights, you can fall down in the rankings. So they went from, in two days, they went from ninth in the league to 15th. God. Three-point percentage. So that, that is a can precipitous change. drop. Yeah, I mean, it, it changes with the weather. But, hey, if they go out tomorrow and hit 50% of them, then they'll be right back in the top 10. Yeah, and I think the one thing, too, it is a league where you have to be able to make threes and make them in volumes. The one thing that you, and, like, this kind of drives guys like Harp crazy, you can't even though you're taking threes, stop attacking at the same time. You can't, you know, the word you'll hear is settle. Uh, last night, the Mavericks didn't shoot near enough free throws, and the Thunder shot a ton of them. And early on when Westbrook couldn't hit a shot, attack, 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 get to the line. So, you know, it's that mentality. If the threes aren't dropping, you got to you gotta duck and go. And I think last night the Mavericks, I, I don't think it was the reason they lost. They got screwed on a couple calls. They should have been to the free throw line more. You got to fight through that stuff. Um, and and that's the thing. If your three ain't dropping, you got to figure out a way to get to the line. And last night they couldn't make up for the threes not dropping. Yeah. Well, and then once you get to the line, then the defense is crashing down, so you have better looks at three. Absolutely. So it's all it all kind of ties together. Yeah. There's an amazing symmetry to all of that. Uh, okay. So looking ahead, uh, you know, we have Spurs Tuesday. You mentioned Boston's going to be coming to town soon. What do you think is the number one thing the Mavericks could improve to get some Ws here in this upcoming schedule? I think for them, it is about doing more of what they did at Washington, I think, on a, on a very micro level. So that is keep the point guard out of the paint. Mm-hmm. I think things came up, things fell apart for them in the third quarter at OKC once Westbrook started getting in the lane. Absolutely. Because then everything started getting – everything was at the rim for them. Layups for him, layups for the big men, layups for cutters and all that stuff. So you've got to build a wall and keep these guys out of the paint. And if you look at the personnel coming in – it's guys like Bledsoe from Milwaukee, right. Teague from Minnesota, Murray for San Antonio. These are guys that like to get downhill. Yep. And you've got to that front line of defense. That's Dennis. That's Dirk. That's a pick and roll defense. You got to keep those little guys out of the paint. And then offensively, get in the paint. I mean, it, yeah. you can harp on that all you want and say it's ridiculous, but like if you get in the lane, then you're gonna win. Yeah. And if you can keep them out of the lane, then you're gonna win too. It's all about. There's a lot of real estate down there that is very valuable, and whoever claims it first is usually gonna be in the driver's seat. Case in point. Several years ago when you'd play Oklahoma City and you would talk to coaches about it, they would always talk about Westbrook before Durant. Why? Even though Durant's MVP type guy. Why? Because once Westbrook gets inside, everything falls apart. So hopefully Dennis Smith Jr. can be that kind of guy for the Mavs. And hopefully you've enjoyed episode two of Numbers on the Board, right? Because here's what we do. We give you exclusive interviews like what you did with Wes. We give you chances to win tickets and hopefully give you a little Maverick fun. So we want you to tell all your friends, retweet the links, put it on Instagram, Facebook. Tell all your friends Numbers on the Boards is the podcast for you if you're a Mav fan and you like to win cool stuff. If Skin tells you to do something, you do it. Unless you're my kids. They don't do a damn thing I tell them, those kids, little farts. Do they listen? Uh, no. Uh, they, w- they wish their daddy was a famous YouTuber, whatever oh, that wow. is. That's what kids are into. We can get this on YouTube. If Let's do listen. this. Yeah. If only we knew someone that knew what YouTube was. Oh, if only. All right. Well, thank you for listening, and we will catch you again uh, later this week. Numbers on the boards with Jeff Skinwade and Bobby Corrala. 